Chapter 14 of The Great Diamond Syndicate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Great Diamond Syndicate by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 14 The Great Diamond Syndicate. Are you coming in? asked the alleged reporter. The girl I told you of is in the rear room on the second floor. Nick made a quick decision. Go ahead, he said. He knew that he was entering a trap, and that his life would be in danger, but he had no thought of turning back. The young man rang the bell, and in a moment the door was open, showing the interior of a plainly furnished hallway from which a flight of stairs led to a floor above. The place was illuminated only by the red-hanging lamp which showed through the transom over the street door, and the general appearance was mysterious. Somehow the atmosphere of the room carried out the impression given by the light. The first impulse on entering was to flee from some unseen peril. There was a strong odor of musk about the place, and this seemed to the vivid imagination to conceal the presence of something uncanny. As the two entered the hallway, they were met by a stalwart servant in the regulation dress coat and white vest. There was something sinister in the fellow's face as he barred the way to the staircase. He spoke in French. Why are you here? This is an officer, replied the young man. We have come to see the body of the girl who was killed here not long ago. The servant pointed up the staircase, saying, We have nothing to conceal from the police. First door to the left. The two started on up the stairs, the young fellow in the lead. Nick was watchful and ready with a revolver which was hidden within easy reach under his coat. He understood the peril of the situation, but trusted to his usual good luck to get him out of any complications that might arise. He was now satisfied that the secret of Townsend's death lay in that house, and he was determined to uncover it. But the detective had no opportunity to use his weapon. The forces with which he was contending were keener than he supposed. Halfway up the staircase... A spray of chloroform struck him in the face, blinding him and sending him to the floor in an unconscious condition. This was a form of attack upon which he had not figured. When he regained consciousness, he was lying, securely bound as to hands and feet, on a leather couch in a room which looked like an ordinary business office. There were two windows, evidently facing the street, for the shades were drawn over the panes, and inside blinds still further shut out the view. There were three doors to the room, one from the hall through which he concluded he had been carried, a second connecting with what must be a small front room over the lower hall, and one connecting with a rear apartment. In the matter of furniture, the room was supplied with two curtain-top desks, two swivel chairs, and the leather couch upon which the detective found himself. A gas log blazed in a grate opposite the hall door. At first Nick's head buzzed badly, but he soon recovered. Then his eyes fell on the figure of a man, sitting at a desk in the front of the room. The fellow was lean and muscular, with a large head, remarkably flat on top, and keen black eyes. As Nick looked him over, he swung around in his chair. "'You are coming too, eh?' he said. "'That dose would have finished an ordinary man.' How are you feeling? Never better, replied Nick. You seem to be quite comfortable here. Yes, we are fairly well fixed here, though our London office is more luxurious. 
Nick had no idea where he was. The man he was talking with looked and acted like a businessman, absorbed in his work. There was nothing suspicious or terrifying about the apartment. In fact, the leather thongs which bound him were the only evidences that he was not in an ordinary place of business. "'This is a new one on me,' said the detective presently. "'What became of the young fellow who brought me here?' "'He has gone out to see about another matter,' was the reply. "'Remarkable man, that. You believed him to be a reporter?' "'I certainly did not,' replied Nick. "'I understood that I was walking into a trap, but thought I could trust to luck.' "'And you are still trusting to luck?' "'Certainly. I shall get out in some way.' "'You have no idea where you are?' "'On Houston Street, I presume,' replied Nick, wondering if the men he had ordered on duty had located the house he entered. "'Streets do not matter,' said the other. "'It is the place that counts. This looks all regular, doesn't it?' The fellow glanced about the room with evident pride. "'It looks all right,' said Nick. "'What is the game?' "'It is the office of the Great Dunman Syndicate,' was the reply. "'Or a branch office, rather, for the main establishment is in London.' "'You have the Maynard Dunmans here, I presume?' asked Nick. "'They are not far away,' was the reply. "'The syndicate steals diamonds, eh?' asked Nick. "'Acquires diamonds,' corrected the other. "'And plans a cowardly murder now and then?' continued Nick. "'We do not consider the means,' was the reply. "'We look only to results. "'We are organized in the regular way and pay very large dividends.' then organized to secure lands and other things without paying for them. Why shouldn't we organize to acquire diamonds? We don't aim to commit violence. In fact, we are a very respectable institution. You will find us raided in the commercial agencies. The fellow intends to murder me, thought Nick, else he would not be so free with the affairs of the concern. We have offices and agents in all the large cities, continued the fellow, and are doing a fine business. Whenever a rare collection of gems is made, we list it. From that time we are on the lookout to acquire it. Let me give you an illustration of our methods. The diamonds, which you call the Maynard diamonds, were collected in South Africa. The collection was reported at our London office. We sent two men out to Cape Town to get them, but they did not succeed. The diamonds were sold to a man who shipped them to this country. Our men followed on the same ship, and reported to our agent here. They got them in New York, but lost them again. One of these men was killed, the other is serving time, as you know. Then this young man Maynard got the diamonds back through your efforts. He has been followed by two of our best men for a year. So you see that the collection has cost us quite a tidy sum of money. Quite enterprising, I'm sure, said Nick. How many people have you put out of the way in your quest for the Maynard diamonds? I don't confess to any crime, was the reply. I think, on the whole, that we are very considerate in our methods. Why, we acquire plenty of collections without wasting a drop of blood. There was the Harvard collection, two millions, the Gould lot, one million, the Montreville collection, half a million, the Burns lot, one million. Not a drop of blood shed, no one arrested, and the diamonds shipped away. You can see for yourself that we are doing the best we can with a peculiar business. We have our agents in all grades of society. Even in dramatic clubs, said Nick. Even in dramatic clubs, repeated the other with a smile. We really enjoyed the chase after the Maynard Diamonds. 
you seem to be enjoying the present situation said nick how long are you to keep me in this uncomfortable position why the fact is said the other that we are waiting for a report from a man who was sent to your residence two hours ago you see you have a collection of gems which is listed at half million in the office of the great diamond syndicate in london you have put us to so much trouble and expense that we thought best to acquire this collection and a man has gone up after it he is to search the steel vault off your sleeping-room and all available parts of the house if he can do so he will accomplish his work without bloodshed but you have trained your people to resist coercion and there may be a fight i sincerely hope that no member of your family will be injured we are doing this thing for two reasons continued the other in the first place you were sentenced to death in london not long ago and cannot long enjoy the possession of the diamonds in the second place we thought best to demonstrate to you previous to your death that you detectives are on the whole rather cheap people you go about with your picklock and your electric torch and think you are the whole thing now you see how hopeless you are in the hands of a syndicate of brainy and determined men and if the man at my house does not find the diamonds asked nick dryly then you will be required to write an order for their delivery to this place nick shut his teeth with a snap you won't eh said the other pardon me but i think you will we have means of persuasion here what do you think of our methods by this time of course you have planned my death asked nick of course was the reply do you think i would talk so freely with a man who was to be permitted to live then if i am to die anyway why should i comply with your wishes in the matter of the diamonds End of chapter 14 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona